What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning. Come on. You got to lean in tonight. Leaning on the everlasting arms. The great God, Jehovah is who's Hakaboth. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle is on your side right now in front of you as the ancient Lulav in front of you, behind you, above you, beneath you, to the left and to the right. He's surrounding you right now, according to his eternal inerrant word, he is surrounding you right there where you are in favor. And because your ways please him, he's causing even your enemies to be at peace with you tonight. It's so good to have you with me on Wednesday night live. Now, you know what live is, right? That's the opposite of dead. So if you're looking for the dead, they're not around here. We're alive. The, li the life of Christ has made us alive, you understand. That same spirit, not a facsimile thereof, that same spirit that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, raised to life again, the three-day dead body of the Prince of God is alive in you, not a different spirit, that same spirit. Gonna breathe on you tonight, gonna touch you where you need it, gonna encourage you where you've been discouraged. We rebuke every depressing situation. We rebuke every principality and every power. We rebuke the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. We rebuke the spirit of fear and we release to you the spirit of life. Now, you know I'm an audience participation preacher and you know what that means. You've got to talk or I stop talking. We have been going through Psalm 23 and tonight, as it relates in many, many ways to the Our Father, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, the most perfect prayer ever prayed. So if you want to know how to make your prayers effectual, I'm going to show you that tonight. Effectual means having an effect. If you want your prayers to go further than out of your mouth and falling to the ground by their own weight, then you need to stay right there and you need to get everybody you love right there with you, believing God together. Agreement, agreement. The greatest number of people focused on the smallest point of agreement yields the greatest result. So look at everybody in that room around you and say, don't mess up my miracle. You need to get in agreement right now. Whether soever two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. Now, two or three doesn't mean that's all we need, you know. I grew up in a church that if they had two or three, they thought they were doing well because that's all they needed, you know, for agreement. It's the smallest denominator of agreement. Two, watch, or three. So what do we have in 20? 23. Are you ready? We've got the greatest agreement between human persons, the greatest agreement 
between flesh and spirit, the greatest agreement between heaven and earth is available in this year. So you let everybody, I mean everybody, 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 know that they need to jump on here tonight. I need you to comment. Uh huh. I'm the only preacher you know that wants you to talk back. So get to talking back. Ask all the questions you want. Give me those clapping hands praise emojis. Give me those waving hands emojis. Let everybody know that you're in agreement. The other thing I want you to do is share your prayer requests with me. The greatest untapped power, underutilized power available to the Church of Jesus Christ today is not prayer, it's believing prayer in agreement. One chases a thousand, two ten thousand, three a hundred thousand, four a million. So we're going to believe tonight. We're going to have faith tonight that God is who He said He was, that He'll do what He said He would do, and that nothing is impossible with Him. I'm not believing for miracles tonight because it's a special night. I'm believing for miracles tonight simply because that's who God is. That's what God does. And all we have to do is get flesh and spirit, heaven and earth aligned in agreement. So we're believing for your miracle. But please, 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 you know my rules. Don't just share your prayer requests with me because the church has become entirely too introverted, too introspective. God didn't call us to have us be idle. There's no stagnation in the body of Christ. Everything is moving and it is not moving backwards. The path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter, not dimmer and dimmer. So don't just request prayer for yourself, although I want you to do that. But your Bible and mine say very, very plainly without stuttering that when we pray one for another, then we're healed. So when you see someone tonight on whatever platform you're on and they share a prayer request, I want 50 of you to jump on right then and tell them you're agreeing with them. And I want you to share the prayer request for someone you love very, very much so we can all agree about that. Amen? Tonight I'm gonna to talk to you in a bit of brevity with specificity from Psalm 23, a living psalm. The parallel between Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And let us not fall into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He didn't say in evil. He said from it. I can't teach it now. We'll talk about the Lord's Prayer. We'll talk about the Psalter. 
and both uh, the hymnal and the prayer book of Israel. That's the Psalter, the book of Psalms. It's the largest book in your Bible. Did you ever notice that? Prayer is primary. I say that because God does everything with a purpose. The Psalter is 150 divisions or Psalms, each of them prayer, each of them song. They are the hymnal and the prayer book of ancient Israel, 133 pages of your Bible. That follows, of course, the book of, of Job, right? Uh, no, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. So it follows the book of Job. Many say that's the oldest book in your Bible, and it's preceded, it precedes the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, of course, was written by Solomon or Jedediah, King David's son, that he had with Bathsheba. You know, sometimes your greatest mistakes turn out to be your greatest triumphs. Yeah, that's what God wants to do for you tonight. The writers of the New Testament quote the book of Psalms more than any other book of the Old Testament. Our verse of the decade, come on, we got to say it out loud together, for the 2020s and the 5780s in the Hebrew years, which we're about halfway through this Hebrew year right now, comes from Psalm 8110. It's not a verse for this week. It's not a verse for today. It's not a verse for the year. It's the verse of the decade. God gave it to me going into 2020. Psalm 8110, open your mouth with a mighty decree and I will fulfill it now. That's God speaking. You will see now at this time, at this moment, in this season, but that's not all. Henceforth and hereafter. Why? Ezekiel said, what God does, he does forever. I feel the anointing of God right now. Type in what your need is. I'm going to believe with you. I read every one of these. I pray over them. There are thousands of them. I lay my hand on my phone or my computer and I pray for you. I take my assignment very, very seriously. Open your mouth with a mighty decree and I will fulfill it. Now you'll see, God said, the words that you speak so shall it be. Now, here's how I know that's true. Here's how you pray an effectual prayer. Philemon 1.6, by the acknowledging of every good thing which is within you. You're not good. Jesus said, why call you me good? There's none good but God. That's the problem with humanity, you understand. From the fall in the Garden of Eden, our sin is the sin of presumption, that we presume upon God. You are not God. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Our issue is this. We think that we know good from evil. We think that in our own heart, we can pray to God. 
Well, that would presume that you, stay with me, you would presume the sin of presumption that you know what is right for you and that you know what is bad for you. That's the sin of Adam. The sin of Adam is saying, I want to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan said, then you'll be like God. Well, we know he lied, but the shred of truth in that lie is simply this, that in your own heart, in your own mind, you presume to know good from evil. You can't know good from evil. That's why he gave us 1,166 pages of truth. And inside that, an entire book of prayer. Do you know why people don't pray? They don't pray because it's ineffective. It's ineffectual to them because they don't know how to pray. <laughs> the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. So he gave them seven phrases, seven. Some divided into six, some into seven, some divided into three, and some divided into 12. But the fact of the matter is, from Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer, or what is commonly referred to in most higher church circles, the Our, Our Father, Jesus did not stutter nor stammer. Think of this. Out of the, not, not the brilliance of his mind, but from his spirit, he said, pray after this manner. Now hold on a minute, because I don't want to, I don't want to go quickly beyond us thinking we know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. Do you know what Jesus prayed? He prayed the Psalter. He prayed the Psalms, just like Israel did. The Psalms, Psalm 22, was on his lips as his prayer to our Father hanging between heaven and earth on that angry, mean biting beam called Calvary. He's suffering, sighing, crying, he's dying. And what's on his lips? Not something coming out of his heart, but something that was spoken by God. And God, through the Holy Spirit, then raises up his own words for us to declare back to him. Great God in heaven. People that say, that folks that pray the Lord's Prayer, well, that's baby praying. Okay, so what you're telling me is that your heart and your mind know how to communicate with God, who is spirit, better than God through his Son incarnate taught us to pray. You know that's not true. Pray after this manner. You know the prayer. Our Father, isn't it interesting, the very first word the living Lord Christ says to you, you and I are on the same plane. He is our 
Father. He said, I, I don't speak my own words. I speak the words of him that sent me. I don't do my own works. I do the works of him that sent me. If you want to know what to pray, begin with the Lord's prayer. But you have to understand it first. You have to have the revelation of it and then pray Psalm 23 with it. And the combination of those two things, one in the new covenant, one in the old covenant, both spoken by the inspiration, the breath of God, pray the word. You didn't hear me. Pray the word. If you heard me, type in right now. I heard you. Ernestina, I have a lost loved one. Well, one's all you need because it's all about the one. It's all about the one. Would he not leave the 90 and nine and go find the one? I pray that God gives you a burden. <laughs> you say that's strange talk in this century, pastor. A burden? Yeah, I pray that God will give you the burden of wealth. Do you think you can handle it? Most people can't. I pray that God gives you a burden for souls that makes you walk the floor at night and for not declare fast, but forget to eat because you're so caught up in the power and the spirit of God to see someone you love give their life to Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, heaven and earth, spirit and natural, supernatural, natural, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's not just what you eat, don't have time. Forgive us of our debts, our sins, our trespasses. They're all the same word. As we forgive our debtors, those that have sinned against us, those that have trespassed against us, let us not fall into temptation. Let us not fall. Your King James says, lead us not into temptation. It's a horrible, horrible translation. God tempts no man with evil and he's not confused when he's speaking to us. So he actually says, let us not fall into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In 2023, you get this down right now. In 2023, the power of agreement is going to become compulsory. Division is the language of weakness. Good Lord, I wish I had an hour right there. Division is the language of weakness. Agreement is the language of strength. Why? Because it becomes consolidated. It becomes concentrated. God is absolutely powerful because he is absolutely holy. Mark 3, 25, a house divided against itself cannot stand. It's too weak to stand because it is divided. Division is the language of weakness. It not only cannot stand, it cannot make a stand. As I shared with you earlier, the greatest number of people focused on the smallest point of agreement will yield the greatest result. Let me give you a quote by the great, the great revivalist, the great Martin Luther. Here's what Martin Luther said. He's talking here about the Lord's Prayer, and he says, it penetrates the Lord's Prayer, the Psalter. 
it penetrates the Lord's Prayer and the Lord's Prayer penetrates it. So the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms penetrates it so that it is possible to understand one on the basis of the other and to bring them into joyful, joyful harmony or agreement. St. Augustine or St. Augustine said this, run through all the words of the holy prayers in scripture, all of them. And he said, I do not think you will find anything in them that is not included. Listen to this. Listen to how profound, prophetic, powerful this is. You will find every prayer in scripture contained and included in the Lord's Prayer. Tertullian, the father of Latin Christianity, the founder of all Western theology said, the Lord's Prayer is truly the summary of the whole gospel. Now, while we've been studying together the last two weeks, we've discovered a few things. We've discovered, number one, that through prayer, that true prayer is based on God's own words. If you want to know that you are always praying aright and never amiss, never amiss, you have not because you ask not or you ask amiss. Here's the only way that you can know you are not praying amiss. If you're praying in your native language, you pray the word. You must pray the word. You must rehearse its promises. They must become a very part of the fabric of your prayer life. Some, somebody, we, we would have hour-long prayer meetings here and, and uh, you know, I wasn't doing it for any purpose. Simply, that's the way I pray. And they recorded me, and there was not one word outside the Word of God that I prayed for that entire hour. I've taught myself, I've trained myself to pray the Word. Number two, we've learned we should pray the Psalter and which is the prayer book of Jesus Christ, the prayer book of modern Christianity and ancient Christianity, and not out of our own selfish hearts, but in the strength and witness of the Holy Ghost. People don't enjoy praying because they don't know how to pray because they never let Jesus teach them how to pray. When we pray the Psalter, we join in unity with the aggregate body of Christ. In other words, those nations that I rattled off there to you, all in agreement because you are an individual in the body, members in particular. But as around the world, we pray the word of God, we are in absolute agreement with each other. Number four, when we pray the Psalms, we pray, I, I took an hour and a half to teach you this. We pray not only in Christ, but we pray with Christ. 
He literally becomes our prayer partner before the throne of God. And what God wants us to do is remind him of the precious promises he's made to us that are in his word. So when we're before the throne, aggregately agreeing with the entire body of Christ and Jesus, our prayer partner. So we learned that those four things will produce revival if, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it again, revival if. Do you have it? There it is. Two years of praying, two years of fasting, two years of believing God with everything in my heart to give me a word that decades after I've received my eternal reward, people will still be using. The whole premise, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If, that tiny little connector, if my people called by my name, here it is, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. From the 21st century perspective, the effects of the Welsh revival on that nation seem almost too fantastic to believe. Profanity was silenced. Theaters were shut down, went out of business. Nobody wanted to go. Bars were closed and shuttered. Criminal courts were closed because the crime rate plunged to nothing. The daily newspaper, which was the you know, social media platform of the time, published what it called revival additioning, additions during that great awakening. Now, now don't forget how such a mighty revival began. One little girl, I don't know about you, I was eight years old when I got born again and I was the only one in the altar. I've won a soul or two since then. One little girl in a tiny little church in Cardigan openly and simply stood to her feet and simply shared her love for Jesus Christ with the other 12 people that were in church. Then a young college student stood up who himself began to fan the glowing ember of revival by simply calling a prayer meeting. That was all, that was it, that was enough. It's hard for us to grasp, to wrap our minds around the possibility that an entire region could be immersed in revival as it was in Wales. And I suspect that the reason is directly related to the very, very light emphasis now given to what our Bible declares is indispensable and imperative. The privilege, the practice of prayer. The modern church is in dire deficiency, both corporately and individually, of prayer. We have need, believe me, 
of that catalyst of desire, that catalyst of expectation, that catalyst of simple childlike faith, that assurance that if we will ask, it will be given to us. Matthew 7, 7, if, only if. You see, prayerlessness, my dear, dear brother, my wonderful sister, prayerlessness is a sin. Now, I know in the modern church, nothing's a sin, but I don't know that there's any higher sin than the sin of prayerlessness. We're informed that it's sin by the ancient prophet Samuel. 1 Samuel 12, 23, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord. Watch me, not by ceasing to pray for me, but by sin, ceasing to pray for you. That's why I won't let you leave a prayer request without leaving one for someone else. We've, we've lost it. We don't understand why we're here. God's church has not always been prayerless. I've lived long enough to see a prayerful people. Previous generations, they knew how to kneel in the presence of the Lord. Now listen, what did I teach you the first night in this series? Prayer is only possible. Prayer is only effective with presence. Presence. So how can you immediately get the presence of God on your prayers? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. When you're praying that book, there is presence. There is the tangibility. There is the glory. There is the tangible presence of God. And when God is with you, and Christ is praying in you, and through you, and with you, God hears and answers that prayer. You remember what Jesus said outside the tomb of Lazarus, Lord, I know you hear me always. I want him to be my prayer partner. I want to pray as he prayed. We knew how to pray until heaven's answer became the reward of obedience and persistence. Mighty Pentecostal warriors called it Praying through. I dare you to type that in right now. Come on, everybody, type it in. Praying through, praying through, praying through, praying through. That's when you get a witness from heaven that as the old hymn said, the answer is already on the way. <laughs> the rest of the day's assignments where revival breaks out and prayer being its catalyst and springboard. Previous assignments don't matter. Appointments of no concern. The only thing that was concerning was the aching and the bleeding knees and the threadbare trousers, which were not despised. They were given a mandate from heaven, a kingdom assignment to make their petitions known before the throne of grace and to plead their cause at the seat called mercy. Everything else faded. 
into insignificance. Time stood still. Agendas were dismantled. Schedules shredded. They became the earthen vessels through which the incense of deep intercession ascended to heaven in agreement from the altars of their hungry and passionate hearts. Quite unlike today, when if we can't, you know, get a response on our smartphone in two seconds or less, uh, we just think it's not worth our time. (laughs) Our own carnality becomes frustrated. Our own fleshliness becomes impatient. So we have to move on to the next shiny and glittery instrument of entertainment. Through neglect, through misuse, we have lost our ability to lay hold of the horns of the altar and contend until we're avalanched in the victory of God. I was in Jerusalem, Israel. Joni and I had only been married maybe, maybe nine months, not very long. And we were in Jerusalem and Joni was attacked physically. I went down to breakfast with Brother Sumrall, Dr. Lester Sumrall and Mrs. Louise Sumrall. And of course, Miss Louise being the proper Canadian missionary that she was, she said, where is Miss Joni? And I said, well, Sister Sumrall, she's still in bed. She's, she's very, very ill. Without saying a word, she put down her fork. She took off her napkin. She said, can I have your room key? She took the room key. I followed her up the elevator. She walked into that room. Joni was burning up with a fever. She was very nauseous. She had a, an excruciating headache. She couldn't open her eyes. Sister Summerall asked none of that. She walked to the end of that hotel bed. And God, my witness, she grabbed a hold of the covering on that bed in one hand. And with the other hand, she grabbed the other side of it. And she began to pray. It took about two and a half seconds before I had to sit down in a chair. The power of God was so evident in that room. And nothing came from her loving lips, but the word of God. You were wounded for her transgressions. You were bruised for her iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was laid upon her and with your stripes, she was healed. Psalm 107 verse 20. You sent your word and you healed her and she is healed now in the name of Jesus Christ for at his name, every knee must bow. And so she went for about five minutes. My wife's eyes came open, the fever left. She got up out of the bed, she got dressed and she went with me doing television that day all over Jerusalem, Israel. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your nice little, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. 
I'm not talking about you using your hourglass and trying to take, look, it takes, it takes about 12 seconds to pray the Lord's Prayer. And the greatest theologians that have ever walked this planet tell us that everything we could pray is encapsulated in that one prayer. Wow. Could it be that our loss of prayer is paralleled by the loss of our heartache and burden for the pitiful plight of the hurting, helpless hordes of humanity and the hell-bound souls that unless we rescue the perishing and care for the dying are going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And I don't care what some cat wrote a book about just to sell a book. I'm talking about the book, the bestseller of all times. You want your answer Go here. It's not complicated. It's so simple that a fool not need air therein. That's why I just say a lot of preachers are pretty foolish. Prayer must become the heartbeat of our lives. It must become the central theme of our existence. We must pray without ceasing. How must we get in the rhythm of everything we do, communing and conversing with, asking and receiving from the living God Almighty every day in every place. We don't possess a higher calling than that. We have no more basic, no more fundamental, imperative, or indispensable ingredient for releasing the mighty power of revival than prayer. The apostle of prayer, the incomparable E.M. Bounds, said this, the prayers of God's saints are the capital stock in heaven. Christ carries on his great work upon the earth. Here we have it again, the combining of heaven and earth. That portal, that access is prayer. And the cost and the price of that access was God's only begotten Son. The great throes, said Ian Bounds, the great throes and mighty convulsions on earth are the results of these prayers. Earth is changed. Earth is revolutionized. Angels move on more powerful and rapid wings and God's policy is shaped as those prayers are more numerous and efficient. <laughs> he didn't leave us, did he? Jesus did not leave us without guidance. Midway through the longest sermon that Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, midway through there, the light of the world himself illuminated us regarding the pathway of prayer. The pathway of prayer is presence. How do you get it? Matthew chapter six, after sharing with the multitude how not to pray, Jesus continued immediately with therefore pray in this manner. Verse nine, let's look a little deeper. We can't go very far tonight, but let's go a little deeper. In its most basic sense, true prayer is simply worship. The worship of the creator of heaven and earth. That's prayer. 
How do I know that? Hear the words of the psalmist. Psalm 8, 3, verse 9. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name, not in heaven, in all the earth. For God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee must bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Watch how everything Jesus does goes back to the Father. If it has a name, it has a knee. If it has a knee, it has to bow to the name, the name. And I speak the glorious name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You know, you really should never just say Jesus. You, you really should never just say in Jesus' name. You should add that moniker, Jesus Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. There were a lot of kids around Jerusalem named Jesus. There are a lot of young people today in the Spanish speaking nations named Jesus, Jesus. So make sure you're distinguishing to the Father who you're talking to. And by the way, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus through the unction of the Holy Spirit. I hear folks all the time, and, and you can tell that, that they haven't been taught how to pray. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, our Father. Jesus identified with us, saying that the only access to the Father is through him. But, but we do not pray directly to Jesus. We pray to our Father in Jesus' name, and we hallow his name. What does that mean? It's holy. Oh my God, three-fourths of the people watching me around the world probably just turned me off. I said that foul four-letter word that you're not allowed to speak anymore, holy. God is absolutely holy, powerful because God is absolutely holy. That means the more holy you are, the more power you have. You're not listening to me. Innocence that makes the right choice becomes holiness. I'm going to say it again. Innocence that makes the right choice becomes holy. The more holy a thing is, the more pure it is. The more it's all in agreement. I don't have time with you. You have to join me next week. His name's holy, Jehovah Rapha, the eternally self-existent God who heals. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is present with me. You could get into revival not doing anything but hallowing his name. If you get my books, I've got nearly a hundred of the Jehovah names of God in them. And sometimes I just go out in the woods and I don't do anything but hallow his name. 
When we do that, we sense that deep, deep urge to humble our hearts before his indescribable throne in unparalleled adoration. 1 Samuel 2.2, there is none holy as the Lord. All the unplumbed depths of such a revelation. Let us now, let us always, forever remember and never fail to proclaim it. How excellent is your name, O Lord, in all the earth, hallowed, separate, set apart, holy, pure, mighty, powerful, glorious, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent is your name so holy. The ancient Israelites would not even speak it. And now he commands us to use it. Our Father. Before anything else, the first words uttered from our hearts every day should be the exaltation of the excellent great name, which is holy because he is holy. When restoring Israel after the captivity, God first made his priorities clear. If you've just been delivered, if you've just been healed, if you've just been born again, if God's steadfast love and mercies are new every morning to you, then you should learn Ezekiel 36, 22. It is not for your sakes, people of Israel. Say it's not for my sake. I want to say it again. Say it's not for my sake. If you ever get the revelation that your healing, your blessing, your prosperity, your joy, your victory, your breakthrough, break in, break out, break over, break in, has nothing to do with you. I speak such strange words to you, don't I? It has nothing to do with you. Type in right now. It's not about me. Your healing is not about you. Your victory, your breakthrough, your financial blessing is not about you. Where did the church become so self-satisfied, so self-interested? We've forgotten all about him. What he does is not about you. What he does is about him to glorify himself in the midst of his own creation. That's what he said. He said, it's not for your sake, Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, I will show the holiness of my great name. Ooh which has been profaned among the nations. There's power in that name. There's victory in his name. His name is hallowed. In that first word that he taught us to pray, our Father. 
The living Christ identifies himself personally with us. What's he teaching us? He's teaching us that God is not only his father, but ours, yours. And therefore, watch, we are his brothers, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I sense and perceive that the reason you have such great problems is that you have such a little God, just a little bit stronger than you. We have preached him down. We have sung songs, supposedly worship, that have made him trite. May we bring the majesty back. May we bring the honor back. May we count what is holy, holy, beginning with his great name. When you're about letting him get glory through you, he'll do anything you need because he's not about you. He's about getting his glory manifested in the earth. The angels fell. And from that time, God's been trying to get back what he lost. Proper praise, which is prayer. Prayer. Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Agreement. Christ Jesus was very, very clear in Matthew 6.10 that we are to pray for God's kingdom to come, not for our kingdom to come. Also, that God's will be done on earth, not our will be done on earth. We miss the entire message of Jesus groaning, writhing, in the burst capillaries of his own face, bleeding and running down into his beard as he prayed under the full light of a Passover moon in the garden at Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine be done. Where's that prayer? That would be a good one to pray, wouldn't it? Not my will. I'm gonna enter this day today, God, and I want nothing of my will done and everything of your will done that your great name will receive the glory. Lord, help me desire to pray. Help my want to. So what's God's will for you? I don't have to wax all prophetic. I don't have to pretend I know your phone number. I can tell you what God's will is for you. It is a reliable, steadfast, immutable guide to his will. It's when you find his will in the confines of this book. Psalm 119, 105, his word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. 
Where the will of God is unknown, perfect faith cannot exist. That's the reason for, for the first 17 years of my life, I, I, never, I, I never really prayed the will of God because I was always saying, God, if it be your will. Once I was praying that, I was a devout teenager and I, I, I was on my knees, hands and knees. I had my Bible open and I was doing my best to pray. And God tapped me on the shoulder and said, what are you doing? And I, I said, I'm praying. He said, no, you're not, you're complaining. And I, I started saying, well, show me your will. And he said, there's 1,166 pages laying there. Why don't, you, why don't you know what my will is? Where the will of God is unknown, perfect faith cannot exist. Philippians 1.6, I already shared it with you, or Philemon 1.6 actually, that the communication of your faith, that's prayer, may become effectual, that's effective, by the acknowledging or referring to or drawing attention to by the acknowledging. If I acknowledge Bishop Amos over there, I just acknowledged him. I said his name. So when I open up with our father, I am acknowledging him. That's the reason I want you to know Psalm 81.10. Open your mouth with a mighty decree. Where's a mighty decree come from? This book, as you open your mouth, as you pray his word, God said, open your mouth with a mighty decree and I will fulfill it now. How can he say that? How can he say, I will fulfill it? Because he already said it. Here's why Mark 11, 22 to 24 works. Have faith in God, for truly whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things that he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. What things soever you desire, what things soever you desire. I got two minutes. What things soever you desire. So you just dream up something in your own heart and mind that you desire. What you don't understand is God gives you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he gives you what your heart desires. It means he gives to your heart its desire. He puts in your heart his desire through this word. Therefore, he can say to you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, you shall have them. Because this is what we're supposed to be praying. Not our will, not our emotions. Oh dear God, give me three hours. Not our emotions. Not our will, not our mind, his word. I challenge you, tonight, in the morning, pray the Our Father, pray Psalm 23, begin through the Psalter, begin to pray the prayers that Jesus prayed and understand he's praying not only through you, but with you. And your prayer life, 
it's about to change forever. Well, I didn't get to do that parallel tonight, so I have to do it next week. I didn't get to it. I'm never unprepared, you understand. I'm so thankful that you're with me tonight. Thank you so much. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ, whose I am, whom I serve. I bless you to be a blessing, to live in the blessing, to live a consecrated life, to learn that holiness is power with God, that we together are learning to pray and that revival is coming. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior tonight, I wanna pray with you. The information for you to help me continue to win souls around the world, thousands and thousands and thousands every day. Please use that information. But if you don't know Jesus, if you're not sure you're on your way to heaven tonight, you can be, you can be. All they that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just pray with me right now. Lord Jesus Christ, I come to you in the name of our Father. I ask you tonight to forgive my sins, to cleanse me by the work of Calvary, to give me eternal life purchased by the blood of your cross. Come into my heart. I accept you. I believe in you. And with my mouth, I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. From this moment forward, I will live for you as you guide me and as you show me how. I'm forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. I love you so much. I'll be right back here Sunday morning on this platform or live at one of our campuses. Don't miss it. Keep leaving your prayer requests. We'll be praying for you tonight and every day. May God bless you in the power of his name. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.